With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the exclusive home of UFC 257. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fight at UFC 257, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. Before we jump in, want a quick mention and awesome promo we're running with our friends over at ESPN Plus. If you sign up through the links on our site, you get a free month of RotoWire. That's full service all sports, all DFS tools, just go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN Plus promo option on the bottom. Or if you already have an account, click on subscribe now in the top right to begin. A couple other quick housekeeping notes here. If you ever visit rotowire.com, we just put some awesome sports betting tools up there for all sports, but I want to highlight MMA. Just click on sports betting at kind of the top navigation and we give you, I mean, we list all the fights for the card. You know, we get the get the money lines in there, the inside the distance, and especially for DFS, we do you know the first round props. That's one of the first things I like to look at, and you can the columns are all sortable. You can sort by the first round prop and um, and kind of see who has the best chance. You know, there's a there's a handful of fighters above nine thousand on this card, but there are definitely some that have a better statistical odds of getting that first round finish than others. So a helpful DFS tool there. Here, one of our tech guy that made it, for example. 
he cashed in a tournament looking at nothing but that. So obviously a little luck involved, but you got that going for you. Also, uh, the Fight IQ crew tomorrow, uh, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rotowire YouTube channel here. They're going to be taking it away. Uh, you know, Joe, Sean, and Chris, they're going to be taking it away with full breakdowns from top to bottom. I know you love to get multiple perspectives in here, but John and I are going to start you off today. John, Last leg of a triple header fight week coming up. I mean, we saw Chiesa look pretty good on Wednesday. We saw Holloway look excellent on Saturday. But, man, what does the UFC do with Holloway? He should be fighting for a title. He's a championship caliber fighter. But after he drops two in a row to Volkanovski, it's like, what's next? Yeah, it's tough. I, he just he looked so good against Calvin Cater the other day that I don't really think there's any choice. You kind of have to go right back to him. Um, what he Calvin Cater's really, really good and that was probably the best Holloway's ever looked. He just he landed nonstop. He kept it up for twenty five minutes. It really was a flawless performance. And you know, the second fight with Volkanovsky, he has lost twice to him, you know, both fairly recently. But you know, the second fight was a split decision and it was close. So um, I thought Holloway won for what that yeah, was. Yeah, it was I close. scored it for Holloway, but it was it was close. I can't call robbery or anything like that. Yeah, no, it could have gone either way, but it's one of those things where um I believe Volkanovski is going to fight Brian Ortega fairly soon. And Mm -hmm. if Volkanovski wins that, uh, you kind of got to go right back to it. They even asked Dana White in the post-fight press conference the other day if you go that's what you go back to and normally he kind of he's not a fan of running it back a third time, but he said, you know, that's something they got to look at. And, um, it would probably be a disservice to Holloway if they don't considering how good he looked in the cater fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like, who else is going to, I mean, something funny is going on with Yair Rodriguez behind the scenes. I mean, Zabit, Magomed Sharipov, he's up there in the rankings, but, you know, who knows when he's going to fight again. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a tricky situation there here. But uh, glad to get your thoughts on that, John. But we got to move over to what the people are here for. It's the return of the king, the notorious Conor McGregor here. This will possibly beat any pay-per-view the UFC put on in 2020, kicking things off with a bang, just like last January when we had the Conor Cowboy matchup. But anyway, Conor's going to be taking on Dustin Poirier. This is a rematch of a fight a long time ago. Uh, McGregor checks in as a big favorite this time. I think he's even getting more money towards him since we originally kind of set up your preview, which you can check out for free on Rotowire MMA. Um, Conor's a minus 290 favorite, comeback on Poirier, plus 245. DraftKings salaries line up with that. 9,100 for Connor, 7,100 for Poirier. And the odds to finish, somebody's going to sleep here. Minus 410, that's about what you'll see for any heavyweight fight here. Um, I always struggle picking these fights a little bit, but I think you came to a pretty solid conclusion pretty quickly, John. Uh, for anyone who hasn't checked out your column yet, and of course for our listeners at home, um, how do you think this one's playing out? What's your general breakdown here? And is Connor worth that price tag? Well, I certainly think it's going to be way more competitive than it was the first time. Uh, these two guys fought back in September 2014. Kana won that fight via knockout in 106 seconds. Um, that happened so long ago. It was McGregor's fourth fight with the company, I believe. Um, it happened so long ago, and these guys are such different fighters since then and have both gone through so much personally and professionally that – I'm kind of at the point where I'm just discounting the first fight entirely. Um, I don't think it really, I don't think the result of the first fight gives either man an advantage. Um, you know, Connor's always confident, so I don't think winning the first fight so quickly um, will, you know, will have any impact there. Um, Dustin's definitely, um, certainly better than what we saw in the first fight, so I'm kind of tossing that out altogether. Um, 
this obviously, like you mentioned, the big thing here is the return of McGregor. He's the most popular fighter in the history of the sport. It's not particularly close, and this will be his first fight in almost exactly a calendar year. January 18th, 2020, he knocked out Donald Cerrone in 40 seconds. Um, and I'm interested to see how he looks here. Um, the fight before the uh, Cerrone fight was the Habib Nurmagomedov loss, where McGregor was essentially dominated before being submitted late in the fourth round. And I think anybody who's being honest with themselves can watch a Donald Cerrone fight now or even within the past couple of years and know it's not the same guy. So, um, you know, Poirier is not on the level of Habib, but Poirier in 2021 is certainly better than Cowboy. So um, I'm kind of interested to see how McGregor looks here. Now, um, you know, the price tag is a totally different thing entirely. We've talked about this on here before. 9100 for McGregor in this spot to me seems like a massive overprice um and I'm picking him to win and I guess it's not so crazy when you take into account both the odds to finish and the Vegas odds you know if you look at it that way maybe the salary is not as crazy as you think but um I just it seems pricey to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think Poirier's a better DraftKings play. I think he'd be a better DraftKings play straight up. But what makes me think he's a much better play is the fact that because of Connor's popularity, you're looking at a guy who every single time he's on a card is almost nearly certain to be the highest own ownership fighter mm-hmm. by a significant margin. Absolutely. Now, we're in our lineup optimizer. We recently started making ownership projections here for DFS. It's so huge. We have Connor, of course, predicted as the highest owned player because any five round fights to start with, you have to um, you have to factor that in for for, for ownership reasons here. Even though the uh, you know the odds expect this one to maybe finish a little bit early, um, it's clear that even on the losing side, you could even stack this one up maybe if you think they're going to get into the championship rounds here. But uh, but I do agree with your point, John. McGregor's getting a ton of juice, a ton of public money, and if you think Poirier has a chance, he seems like a pretty str- strong value play. He seems like a great value play and. Poirier is six and one uh, with one no contest in his last eight fights. Um, his only loss in that span was against Habib, who he was essentially grinded into submission, much like McGregor was. Um, and in that span, Poirier has wins over Dan Hooker, who we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, Max Holloway, who we just talked about, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, and Jim Miller. It's honestly. It's surprising Poirier doesn't get talked about more, mm-hmm. considering some of the guys he's beaten over the last several years. Um, if you do a deeper dive, the numbers on the two guys are actually really similar. Both guys are 5'9". McGregor has a couple inch edge and reach. Connor's six months older. The striking numbers, not just offensively, but offensively and defensively, are really similar. They land at similar rates. They defend themselves at similar rates. The one big difference is i would say connor has certainly has more stopping power on his hands he has fight changing power while dustin has power but is probably more of a combination and volume type guy mm-hmm. and the other difference is poria mcgregor's certainly a better grappler than he gets credit for and we talk about this all the time too whenever a guy excels in one area and we talk about he has a weakness in another area the truth of the matter is they're probably better in terms of that weakness than we think they are. They're not as good as they are in their specialty area, but they're probably better than they get credit for. So Dustin's certainly a better grappler than McGregor. He 
averages 1.46 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is pretty solid. But McGregor, over the course of his UFC career, which has been a long time now, defends takedowns at a 70% clip, which is you know a perfectly reasonable, solid number. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect this to turn into a stand-up brawl. Um, I think once the guys get in there and the juices get flowing, I think it's just going to be back and forth. Um, I think in I'm picking McGregor as I said earlier to win, but I don't think this I don't think there's going to be a quick stoppage here like we got the first time. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if it's not close throughout. I don't think either guy is going to pull away from the other. And um, the one thing that really surprised me looking at this is the Vegas odds. If you told me blind to make the odds for this fight, I would probably have Connor at somewhere around, I don't know. Maybe minus one seventy five, yeah. one eighty, somewhere in yeah. there. It's As just, is, he's up around minus two ninety, minus three hundred, <laughs> which I think is a direct, like we mentioned earlier, a mm-hmm. direct correlation to his popularity. Yeah, I mean that's what happens when you're the most popular MMA fighter in the entire world or of all time. You're definitely going to get a little bit of an artificial boost. So the value seems to be on Poirier. Of course, we want to be in the business of picking winners here, and I was I was starting to lean Connor at. First, I see. Okay, so just a little bit of personal history. Not that I dislike Connor for any for any means for any reason, but I think that he's there's been some holes in his game, and guys that uh, like Habib, like Nate Diaz, have been able to um, they've been able to exploit those a little bit. But I would imagine the wrestling continues to get better here. I mean, his only four career losses are all via submission. So you would think if this one sees the championship rounds and it's a high volume, like nobody's ever outpointed McGregor over five rounds. Nate Diaz got pretty close in the rematch, but Connor took the majority decision here. Dustin statistically has a little bit of better wrestling, but I doubt very much we're going to see any of that here. I'm going to expect a stand-up affair as well. And like I said, nobody's ever beaten Connor. That is Connor's game. Um, So that's what does it. But the thing to me here is... I like Dustin Poirier. He's a little bit of a slow starter, um, somebody that uh, Connor typically takes advantage of. But with Poirier, I'm confident that he can weather the storm because you go back to Poirier's last fight against Dan Hooker. He took a beating in those first two rounds. He was definitely down on the scorecards, and then he and then he turned it on. He turned it on quite a bit, and um, you know Hooker was similar. The, it wasn't as pronounced, but Hooker had the reach advantage on him for sure. And uh, and then Poirier turned it on, and eventually you know did what he needed to do to take care of business. I think this one's going to be tight, um, man. You know I've picked against McGregor so many times. I'm not going to, and it's burned me more often than not. I'm not going to lie there, um, you know, minus the Khabib fight. I'm going to pick against him here. Hopefully, maybe I can snag a snag a point on you guys in the staff picks because I'm pretty sure Connor's going to end up unanimous, and I'm going to be the only one um, to break that trend. But um, you know, I'll just run down the list. I don't value Connor's win over a, a, over essentially a washed up cowboy. Um, you know, a year ago, and then you go back to the Khabib fight. You know, Connor's bread and butter is the striking. Khabib dropped him in that fight, basically too. So that was a little bit concerning to me. Um, you know, it can never tell the narrative base of this. How is Connor going to react to you know all of this instant fame? You know, I think that window's expired a little a little bit. We're so far from the Floyd Mayweather whole situation that I got to think that he's back into MMA training and taking that very seriously i just think dustin poirier is being overlooked and i'm going to go out on a limb and take him in this fight every strength of record metric that you can look at fight matrix posts like five different ones it's a really cool site um they all seem to like poirier except for the betting odds of course um 
you know, you look at the statistics, they're very, very close, but Dustin does have the edge in, in both volume and strikes absorbed. So that's something that um, that uh, comes out to me. Uh, and, of course, takedown average, that helps. If Poirier decides to try that at all, one and a half takedowns almost for per 15 minutes of fight time. Again, I'm not necessarily sure he uses that, but it's in the back pocket if he has to. If he gets rocked and he's a little wobbled, you know, he could at least grab a hold of a leg and maybe use that to help him survive and he survived the Dan Hooker onslaught. We'll talk about him in a little bit. I don't know. I like Poirier's body of work over the last couple of years. He's fought. He's been more active. He's fought. He he also has a loss to Khabib. But Poirier, I mean, he beat Holloway, who we said looked amazing. You know, both of those guys have wins over Alvarez. Uh, Poirier beat Gaethje, who you know, as you've seen what Gaethje's done since that loss, he's ascended to a title contender here. Um, I'm going to go with Cor- Por- There are a lot of things going both ways here but ultimately i land on poirier because watching him on the film withstand that hooker beating and then just the overall body of work so i realize i'm going to be in the minority here um and, and taking poirier but uh then it brings us to how do we handle this on DraftKings? you know my straight up pick you got to have both sides here you know we always talk about mma as a mass entry multiple lineup sport here if you have five lineups i think you put um you put Poirier in two or three of them. I, let's just say this: I, if I if I had five lineups for a contest, I play Poirier and no Connor in two. I stack it in one, and I play Connor and no Poirier in one, just to kind of cover my base here. Um, how? I mean, can you kind of give us a, a distribution? Like, just say five lineups. How much of both are you using? I might go like. I just I can't get over. I just I have a hard time believing, and it may end up burning me. But I just, I have a hard time seeing a two thousand dollar difference between these two. Um, I might do something like Poirier three um, and McGregor two, simply because uh, the options are so much. You know, you have so many more options when you go with the guy who's seventy one hundred compared to ninety one hundred. No stacks here. Are you worried? Or are you worried about the early finish? Or I'm not too worried about the early finish. It's just. I mean, if I was stacking, I'd probably only do it if I entered more than five lineups. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't pay off very often. It sounds good on paper a lot of the time, but it just doesn't it doesn't work too often. I'm not worried about Poirier's durability. I, you know, he was finished immediately in the first fight between the two. But you talked about the beatings he's taken in the past. You know, mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't look to that as a reason to think this fight's going to end quickly. Yeah. I think this is going to go probably into the championship rounds, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, Poirier, 153 significant strikes landed against Hooker, 178 against Holloway, 54 against Alvarez before knocking him out in the second round, so kind of extrapolate that. Um 174 significant strikes in four rounds against Gaethje. I mean, this guy can put it on you. Even if he starts slow a little bit, this guy can definitely put it on you, so... And he's been knocked like out. Tw- he's been yeah. knocked out twice in thirty-three career fights. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's not a guy who you look at. You look at it and you say he he has a durability problem. Yeah, we can agree that this is a great fight. We can agree that uh, that man, you got to get a piece of both sides, or at least a piece of this fight, definitely um, here on DraftKings. And and we can also agree that Poirier might be able to provide some value here. But I know I'm gonna. I might get it from the Connor fans. I, I welcome it. You know, I'll, I'll play the. I'll play the uh, debate show troll that that's going to pick against Connor and and take what's coming for me. But um, you know the downfall's coming here, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it starts on Saturday for me. But uh, yeah. I'm definitely in the minority in that, and I'm I'm willing to acknowledge. Yeah, that. I'm not confident about it. Yeah. I'm not confident about picking him. Any last uh, any last thoughts on this one before moving on? 
No, I mean, I, I would probably, like I said, you know, I, I know I just said McGregor talked about how we both talked about how McGregor's overpriced, but you still probably got to get a piece from somewhere because, you know, he does have that, you know, that mystic Mac potential to just put on a, a great performance. And the other thing we didn't talk about quick is, you know, I would think, obviously there are going to be fans there, but they're going to be extremely limited. Mm-hmm. And I would think uh, that would probably favor Dustin, I would guess, just a little. You know, if you know you have if you have a full a full house and you got 20,000 people there, you know, you're going to have 17,000 rooting on Connor. So if you only have – I don't know how exactly how many they're going to have there, but if it's four or yeah. 5,000, whatever it is, you know, I, I got to think a smaller crowd would, would go in Dustin's favor just a little, possibly momentum-wise. Yeah, exactly. I know, that, I know Dana and company didn't want to bring Connor back until they could have fans in the stands probably going to be a while before we're filling arenas again need some time for that vaccine to get distributed but uh this will be kind of the best that they can do in the meantime and and you know habib's going to be watching this fight awfully closely if he's he was in the building on wednesday cornering uh umar Nurmagomedov. so i don't know maybe he'll be around for something uh who knows what that retirement situation is he's not uh, fighting (laughs) i know you know i know dana white tried to make it like there was a big announcement that was just to sell paper he's he has no desire to i'm not saying it's gonna it won't change in the future but that guy has no desire to fight right now all right fair enough co-main event lightweight matchup as well um this is an excellent matchup i'm very excited for this dan hooker michael chandler chandler coming over from bellator a former bellator champion uh but hooker we mentioned uh hooker putting it on dustin poirier a little bit in those first couple rounds in his last time out here um so hooker is you know, he took that loss to Poirier to snap a three-fight winning streak against Vic, Ally Quinta, and Paul Felder. Um, but Hooker's legit, and he's going to welcome Michael Chandler to the uh, to the UFC. Hooker's eighty five hundred on DraftKings, seventy seven hundred for Chandler. Uh, the betting odds make this almost like it should be an eighty two hundred, eight thousand one though. Uh, with Hooker only checking in as a minus one twenty five favorite, Chandler plus one hundred five is the comeback there. Odds to finish are minus one thirty, so definitely not in the in the the same atmosphere as the main event but vegas thinks somebody's stopping somebody here uh this is a great great scrap john uh how do you see this one playing out and who do you got another excellent fight um there are a lot of people who watch the ufc and don't just simply don't watch other organizations which is understandable this the promotion and the accessibility of the ufc is so much greater so there's going to be a lot of people tuning into this card who don't know anything about michael chandler and um He's a one of the better lightweights in the world, which is saying something because it's arguably the deepest division in the sport. Um, but there's there's pros and cons here. I see on Chandler's side. Um, if you take a look at guys who have come from other organizations and been top guys, you look at Justin Gaethje and all the success he had. You look at Eddie Alvarez, who you know kind of flamed out a little bit, but for a while. What, you know, was a superstar. And then you look at the flip side. You look at a guy like Will Brooks, who was one of the widely uh, viewed as one of the best fighters outside of the UFC, came to the company, and it was just an unmitigated disaster. You look at Marlon Marais, who started out on fire and quickly fell apart. And now he's he's at a career crossroads, to say the least. There is a a case to be made for and against Michael Chandler here. Um, My main concern at this point is twofold. One is that he'll be 35 years old in late April. So I don't think you're getting the best Michael Chandler from a physical perspective 
Um, he's been in a lot of fights over the years, and he's been in a lot of wars over the years. And I'm worried that perhaps his body has started, you know, starting to give out a little bit. You know, we'll have to see. And the other bigger concern, in my opinion, is Chandler's nine and two in his last eleven fights, dating back to June of 2015. But there is a massive—I'm talking the size of the Grand Canyon gap between most of the guys Chandler faced and the kind of guys he's going to have to face in the UFC. Mm -hmm. um, Dan Hooker is one of my personal favorites. I was on the Dan Hooker. I got a few guys, Dan Hooker, Stephen Thompson, Robert Whitaker, guys I was on the bandwagon for before they got big. Um, Hooker's great. Not seven and two in his last nine fights. The losses came against Poirier, which you mentioned, and Edson Barbosa, but he has wins in there over Paul Felder, over Ally Quinta. We saw him beat Gilbert Burns. You know how hot he's been. Um, Hooker's durability is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He has that rare ability to just eat punch after punch after punch and have it not affect him in the least. Just keeps pushing forward. He might not be on the same level as a guy like Habib, but if he's not, he's on that second tier. He's really, really good. Um, Chandler also has a lot of power. But I don't think he can match Hooker in that area. Chandler's also a former Division I All-American wrestler. And I think that is probably where his biggest edge is. But like we said before, Hooker is a pure striker, but he also defends takedowns at 80%. So getting him to the mat is not going to be an easy thing. I think if Chandler fails on his first couple attempts, there have to be talk about this all the time with wrestlers. You might fail on attempts one and two. There has to be a third, a fourth, and a fifth because there's a gap in power between the two. Um, I mentioned in my preview article, I was a little surprised at the salaries and the odds. I just kind of assumed because Chandler is the new guy and, you know, everybody loves the unknown and prospect. Chandler, uh, obviously, he's not a kid, but, um, you know, talk about prospects and the unknown when a guy joins an organization. I thought he'd be higher priced on DraftKings and if not favored on um, from the Vegas point of view, I thought it'd be a little more closer than it is. Essentially, I'm at the point where I've been burned before numerous times and guys joining the UFC from other organizations. A lot of guys have had success, but a lot of guys have just really, really, really struggled. Um, I'm kind of just taking a wait-and-see approach with Chandler. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Hooker routed him and just came in, and after this fight's over, you look at it and you go, all right, well, that's a guy who was fighting a bunch of nobodies and just got exposed. On the other hand, if this is a close fight, if Chandler pulls what would be termed an upset based on the odds, I wouldn't be surprised about that either. Mm -hmm. I just feel a little bit more comfortable betting on what I know here, which is Hooker. And a lot of this has to do with how much I value Hooker. I just I think he's mm -hmm. good, and as good as he's been, I still think he's underrated. Yeah, Hooker's part of that city kickboxing team in Australia that's just been on a tear yep. over these last couple of years. You know, Volkanovski, Adesanya, those types of guys that you know are champions. I love. I mean, Hooker's got the four inches in height and four inches in reach. The caliber of competition, the body of work for me, uh, lands in Hooker quite a bit. Um, you know, looking at Chandler, I'll kind of dissect some of his Bellator losses here. So he lost to Brett Primus. Uh, most people probably don't know who that is. Um, I think that's as, pretty much as close to a fluke as you can get. He hurt his leg. He, like, turned his knee or his ankle or something weird and then kind of folded after that it was really weird it, it's it's not i mean he could fight primus eight more times and beat him eight more times and he eventually did go and avenge that loss um 
But the one that concerns me from Bellator is the Patricio Pitbull loss uh, because basically Pitbull's the featherweight champion moving up a weight class to uh, <laughs> to um, I guess defend his brother or avenge the loss from his brother and. Man, Chandler got hit and he got knocked out in the first round too. Um, so that's a little bit scary because you know if Chandler's chinny at all with someone with the power of Hooker, I you know I, we, I mentioned in the very first fight breakdown, Hooker you know took Poirier, he he put it on him in those first couple of rounds here. Um, I don't think Chandler's going to be able to outlast that necessarily. So I like Hooker. I like Hooker by stoppage in this fight. I'm going to use him on DraftKings uh, where I can. Obviously, the price tag is a little bit prohibitive, um, especially when it's only you know if you if you look at an odds implied winning model like what defaults on our optimizer you know an 8500 fighter at minus 125 isn't going to show up a lot but i love the finishing power here um and i and i just think he gets it done if this were a five round fight i would maybe reconsider and look a little bit more chandler because i know chandler's not going to run out of gas he's going to keep with the takedown pressure here but like you said hooker's got a 79 percent takedown of defense and i'm confident that yeah he might get taken down once or twice but overall um I just see a big difference in striking, only exacerbated by the height and reach here. And um, and then, of course, you've got Hooker here, who is uh, you know a few years younger as well, 30 years old, just in the prime prime of his career. Um, I didn't have to think about this too long. I, I didn't. I wasn't scared off by her. I wasn't attracted too much by the new shiny toy the UFC has. I think that this is uh, this is Dan Hooker's fight. I just I don't think people realize how big Hooker is. Like he could fight at like welterweight and look like perfectly average, like oh, size wise. Right. Mm-hmm. He's gigantic, and I just I'm just I'm hesitant. I, I'm take just wait and see mode on Chandler. I just I would like to see him how he looks against a legitimate top tier lightweight before I I say I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Hooker was unanimous when we came to staff picks, which is a little bit rare considering, you know, what the odds are here. The odds are pretty close. But uh we can agree on that one. Let's move on to a women's flyweight fight here. Um personally, I don't think this fight does a lot for me on DraftKings <laughs> because it's probably going to be a finish here i don't see any sneaky submissions where um i don't see the fight being contested on the mat necessarily um but anyway we've got joanne calderwood best accent in the ufc i'll say joanne calderwood taking on jessica i calderwood the favorite at minus 120 comeback on i plus 100 calderwood's an 8400 on DraftKings, i comes back at 7800 odds to finish like i alluded to Plus two twenty five, John. You know, I, I've I've edited and posted your columns for what five six years now. I know you're not a Jessica I fan. I, can't, I, I that that part is clear to me. But um, assuming we're going with Calderwood here, what what is it about Calderwood that uh, that led you to convincingly make this pick? Uh, you are correct on both accounts. <laughs> um, and I was actually, before you even said that, I was going to say, I apologize for those who listen all the time. This is going to sound like any other Jessica I breakdown I've ever done. Um, Jessica I is, uh, I'll give you a couple sentences before telling you why I like Calderwood. Jessica I is a pure stand-up fighter. She's tough, she's gritty, but she has zero power. And she's 5-7 and seven with one no contest with the, United, with the UFC. So, um that's just record-wise. Now you get to a technical breakdown. Yeah, um, hey, she fought uh, for a title a little over a year ago. <laughs> sure. Yes, she did. Um, uh, so when you get to a technical point of view, like I mentioned, I everything I does is on the feet, and she's facing an opponent in Joanne Calderwood who 
is essentially a Muay Thai specialist with a decorated background in that area. Um, and Jojo has not been – I th- when put it this way, when Calderwood began with the UFC, I expected actually more out of her than we've seen. She's been really up and down. But um, another reason I like Calderwood in this fight is that I really actually kind of feel bad for her. For those who don't know real quick, Calderwood was supposed to fight Valentina Shevchenko um, for the UFC uh, Women's Championship last year. Valentina had to withdraw. So Calderwood could have said, okay, I, whatever, no problem. I'll just sit on the sideline keep training until she's ready to go. She didn't. She elected to fight Jennifer Maya last August instead, who stepped in. To make a long story short, Maya beat her and then went on to challenge Shevchenko. So given the current state of the UFC women's flyweight division, which to say is there's zero depth whatsoever. Mm-hmm. One Calderwood, win can get you a title shot. It might take two, but yeah, you're not far off. It's only it's not going to take much to get right back in the title picture. I just think Calderwood is more technically sound. Um, she's has more power. Neither woman have a ton of finishing power, but I think Calderwood has more power. And another thing that you know hasn't been mentioned is just guys missed weight in each of her last two fights. I mean, that's like a gigantic problem. On um, you know, if it happens once, so be it. You know, if it happens twice, it looks like an issue. Um, it's just there's just there's not a lot here, and I don't feel. I certainly wouldn't pick Calderwood. If Calderwood were to fight Shevchenko tomorrow, um, you know, I would think she'd get routed. I don't think there's like a ton of top tier potential here, but I also do. I think she's six hundred dollars better than I. Mm-hmm. And even if you think I has any sort of value as an underdog from a potential winning standpoint, her game and her fighting style is simply just not conducive to fantasy mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to. And her last two wins have been 70 DraftKings points, 63, 67, 72. I mean, at 7,800, that's that. it's not going to get you the 12X you're searching for in GPP. So um, I don't know. My side of this is pretty similar to yours, John. I'm going to stay away from this fight on DraftKings because I don't see a lot of finishing power. But when it comes to technical, diverse striking in particular, you know, Calderwood has more than just a boxing game. She's going to get her knees and elbows involved. I like her in the clinch. I like her being able to do damage with her knees in the clinch. Um I just think she's going to be able to outpoint I over three rounds. It's probably not going to be super high scoring. Um, you know, the new DraftKings scoring where you get points for significant and just regular strikes maybe helps some of the clinch work here because, you know, a lot of those clinch strikes were underrated previously. Um, but I still don't think it's going to be high scoring. Even if I gets the upset, you're not going to get a ton of value with a fighter getting 70 DraftKings points in your lineup. So this is a fade for me. There's a dozen fights to pick from on here. This is one that you don't necessarily need a piece of unless you're super mass entering and maybe you're trying to get a little bit of leverage here but um calderwood for the win i think it's going to be pretty decisive that way in staff picks but um but uh, I, I just i don't see a lot fantasy wise to look forward to here so we can move on we don't need to touch on that one a lot more lightweight matchup here we go matt the steamroller frivola against otman zaitar uh zaitar 8800 on DraftKings. comeback on frivola is 7400 zaitar minus 155 favorite frivola plus 135 and the odds to finish are minus 195 here this is one where 
you are looking for a finish on DraftKings. You're looking for that big bonus. You're maybe looking for that gone in 60 seconds bonus that we'll talk about a little bit at the end of the show here. But uh, but who do you like in this one, John? Uh, yeah, this is your classic grappler striker matchup. Um, Matt Frivola, Long Island guy, um, has gone unbeaten in his last three since being quickly knocked out in his company debut. Um, trains with Sarah Longo here on Long Island, where I am. Um, like a lot of guys on that team, Aljamain Sterling, Ali Quinta, um, his entire offensive arsenal is based around his wrestling. Averages north of three takedowns per 15 minutes, 3.3, and he lands them at 40%, which is you know perfectly reasonable. Um, I think the open question about Travola at this point is whether there's enough power in his hands to threaten his opposition. Um, if his if his opposition knows that he doesn't have much to offer in the way of striking. They can just sit on the takedowns and try and defend them and not be worried about it. Um, Otman on the opposite side um, is the opposite of Frivola. Um, a pure knockout artist. Ten of his 13 wins have come via knockout, um, including each of his first two UFC wins. Um, the one concern about Otman is obviously that the sample size is small. Um, you know, I think the power is legitimate. If you're knocking out 10 out of 13 guys, you know, and you're undefeated as a professional, uh, I think it's safe to say you definitely have some pop in your hands. But the concern is whether he is more than a one-punch knockout artist. Um, in many aspects, it's similar to Frivola. Frivola, you're worried if he's anything more than a wrestler. In Otman, you're worried if it's anything more than just, you know, one-punch knockout stuff. Um, it might not matter. Um, that power might be enough um, for Otman to win this fight, but I have even if he picks up some a quick win, I'm still going to have some long term concerns, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to get an idea of Otman's takedown defense here. Yeah, um, I guarantee you, Favola realizes wrestling is his clearest path to winning this fight, and we're going to see if Otman's going to be able to stay on his feet or not. He's going to have a massive advantage anytime these guys are anywhere near each other at striking distance. Um, and then it comes down to if you want to look at it from a DK perspective. I'm not overly excited about Otman at 8,800. It seems like a lot for a guy we don't have a ton of exposure to, but I'll take him to win the fight. And if you're asking me which guy is a better DK play, I think he's a better DK play too, simply because Frivola, on a dra- from a DraftKings perspective, you're looking for takedowns and you're looking for damage from top position and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, even if he wins, I don't know if you're going to get a ton of that. You might get a couple takedowns, but at that point, it might just be him holding his opponent in place. So exactly. it just doesn't seem like a great value at 7,400. 7, well, on the bright side, DraftKings is giving points for control time now. So, uh, you know, that maybe you're going to need it if you use them. Yeah, that's going to help a guy like Favola a little bit. I'll kind of explain the appeal of Ottman here. He has got the third best first round knockout prop on the entire card at plus 300, yet he's only has the sixth highest salary. So I think he actually might be pretty popular on DraftKings for that reason. And um, I was actually surprised, John, when I was reading your column, I thought for sure you'd go with the Sarah Longo guy uh, for the upset here. So I'll go ahead and make my case for the Sarah Longo guy. Um, A little bit worried about that first round knockout. I'm not going to lie. That's the risk with Frivola. He's going to have to weather an early storm 
or he's going to have to push Ottman up against the clinch, up against the cage, and get a clinch and kind of you know keep going for those takedowns here. And we'll know pretty pretty quickly, I think, if the fight's going to go his way. Uh, some of my early DraftKings builds, I'm going to pick Frivola outright. If you haven't picked up on that yet, I think that he can weather the storm against the guy we haven't seen a whole lot of. Uh, you know, maybe some chin issues in the past a little bit. He, he sometimes gets a rep like that, but um, I think there might be a decent live betting opportunity if you have uh if you're in a state that allows that if uh even if Frivola is getting beat after the first round if he's taking some punishment if those if the bell rings after that first five minutes and Frivola is still in the fight then I love Frivola especially if you can get him at even further plus money um that would be the one to look at but uh I like Frivola to kind of put together a come from behind victory withstand the early storm and uh, rack up a few take three, four takedowns and some control time and eventually get the victory. I don't think it'll be a huge DraftKings score, but at 7,400, especially if you're not going to, if you're not going to use Poirier right at the beginning, um, go for a guy like Frivola at 7,400, use him as your salary relief. Um, and he's the guy to go. Um, the knockout prop does concern me a little bit, but I just, I'm going to bank here on Frivola getting through that first round and grinding out kind of uh it won't be pretty it'll be a little bit of an ugly decision I think if the fight goes this way but uh I don't know I love what I mean he's a, a bigger weight class but he's training with Marab Dvalishvili who's an absolute takedown monster he's training with you know Aljamain Sterling he's, he's getting some good looks every single day over at Saralongo and I think um his body of work I like a little bit more than Zaitar, who, again, he's got a couple of knockouts, but small sample size here. You know, we're looking at, uh, um, you know, Kama Worthy, who I guess was a decent prospect. Paklinen, I mean, those are his only two fights. Yeah, he got the finishes, but um, I don't know if either of those names necessarily impress you a ton. Back-to-back first-round finishes, performance of the night bonuses, but I think that pattern stops here, and Frivola grinds him out. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is just to piggyback on that from a you know from a betting perspective, I guess Vegas odds. If you like Frivola, you almost certainly also like the over. You know, if you go how whatever your legal sports big is and the odds to finish because any Frivola fight would almost certainly involve a decision, I would think. Any Frivola victory, I should say. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I've got the numbers here. Frivola plus 135. Fight goes the decision is plus 160. Over two and a half rounds is plus 120. So I think the fight goes the decision is your better value prop if you're going to go ahead and bet Frivola in this Yeah, one. if you're going to prop Frivola and you're, you know he's your guy, you want to go outright, I would just go Frivola and dis- probably be a decision and just uh, yeah, get, some, actually, get some extra. Yeah, your best bet is to pick the specific Frivola wins by decision plus 360 yeah. there's your bet there's your bet for if you're going to go with the steamroller excellent nickname yeah I was gonna, I was gonna say, that is a, it is a good nickname <laughs> all right let's move on last fight on the pay-per-view marina rodriguez amanda hebas the up-and-coming amanda hebas 9200 on DraftKings. rodriguez pretty cheap 7000 hebas is more expensive than conor mcgregor uh she's a minus 300 favorite to win so you know right on line with uh, mystic max line there rodriguez comeback plus 250 odds to finish on this one not so hot plus 150 here um i think we both like hebas here john but the real question is there are some real nice options in her same salary tier how much exposure are you going to realistically get to her not a ton not a ton for me um this is supposed to be he and michelle waterson um waterson was forced to withdraw uh, for the record, for all those who want to hold it over my head, um, I would have had Hebas winning that fight probably easier than I have her winning this one. I got nothing but love for Waterson, so I do too. <laughs> She's just too small. Um, but 
Hibas is a legitimate prospect, and she's displayed an ability to fight in multiple divisions. Um, she submitted Paige Van Zant, which, as we know, doesn't mean a ton. Um, a unanimous decision over Mackenzie Dern looks pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a legitimate all-around threat. She lands 4.71 significant strikes per minute. She averages 2.2 take da- 2.28 takedowns per 15 minutes, and she's 27 years old. So she has legitimate all-around ability, and she's young, so there's room for growth. Um, Marina Rodriguez has been okay with the company. Somehow in five fights with the company, she has two draws. She's two, one, and two, <laughs> as I odds? mentioned. She it's, drew it's, against it's, Cynthia Calvillo and Randa Marcos. I mean, she's fighting impossible. decent there people. Are, there are fighters who go their whole careers without one draw, and she's had two in five fights. Mm-hmm. Um, her most recent fight was a split decision loss to Carlos Sparza last July. Um, Rodriguez, uh, my one concern about Rodriguez is – She's pretty much proven to be just a one-dimensional striker. She's really good at it. She averages over five significant strikes per minute, but I'm a little worried over the long term. She's just become too reliant on her striking to be successful. I think she's good enough to beat up on those kind of fringe roster fighters. If you put her in against subpar talent, I think she's good enough to beat them up. But I don't know if there's any like real long-term ceiling here. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Hibas, like you mentioned. I just think there's more more all-around value here. But like you said, also she looks overpriced. Ninety-two hundred is she's the her third highest priced fighter on the card. If I'm spending that kind of money, I want somebody with a better than even chance of dominating her opposition mm-hmm. or at least getting a finish. You know, right. Hibas could sneak a, a submission out. And I think Hibas is going to be my pick too. I'd be pretty surprised if she's not unanimous in this one. I think at 27 and her trajectory, it could, you could realistically see her making huge, huge strides between every fight with the way her ascension is going here. I don't want to discount Marina Rodriguez, though. I think the odds should be a little bit tighter on there. I think the hype's maybe fueling the Hibas betting line a bunch. I don't see a ton of value in minus 300 unless maybe you're throwing it in with some parlays. But, I mean, Rodriguez, she lost to Carlos Sparza, kind of a gatekeeper in that division. Draw Cynthia Calvillo, who's you know sneaking into that title conversation. Beat Tesha Torres, a staple who's been around for a long time. I mean... Rodriguez is, I wouldn't call her a vet vet with all these, uh, with, you know, only, what do we have, six fights in the UFC, but she's fought some quality fly or some quality straw weights, I should say here. And I don't think she should be a plus 250 underdog here. Do I think she's going to win? No, but would it surprise me if she did? That wouldn't surprise me at all either. And for that reason, I'm going to just kind of stay away from this fight uh, on DraftKings a little bit. Maybe throw in Rodriguez at 7,000. Still probably less than 20% exposure, but uh, um, I, I, I don't see a lot to draw me in from a DraftKings perspective here. No, and actually, and from the odds perspective, actually, Hebas and Conor McGregor are both minus 300. Mm-hmm. And I would have, if you had me making the odds, I'd probably have them like, both maybe like minus 175 minus 180 yeah so i think there's just i think there's more value of course i would you know i think there's more value to use somebody like dustin poirier at 7100 than rodriguez at 7000 just mm-hmm. because you know you have a, stand a much better chance of a, just generating more offense yeah. but yeah no i would if you told me if you told me uh you know early sunday morning late saturday night that both poirier and rodriguez won their fights 
would not be shocked at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be floored by something like that here. Uh, well, we've reached the part of the show, John, where we want to see if any dogs are barking here. Um, any value, any other fights that you're looking at, uh, uh, fighters that you think maybe have a better shot at an upset than what the DraftKings salary suggests? Uh, there's a couple. I guess the most obvious one is probably the one we talked about earlier. I I, th- I know you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody looking at this would probably say this is the obvious one. Is Juliana Pena at 8,000 against Sarah McMahon, who's at 8,200. Um, it's just, I guess it's more of a lack of confidence in McMahon at this point. I mean, I know she spent a bunch of time away. She had a child and you know, she was hurt and there's all this other stuff going on. But uh, Sarah McMahon has one victory dating back to February 19th, 2017. So you're looking at, you know, basically four years. She's now, it's hard to believe, Sarah McMahon's 40 years old, which is, I mean, it, it's, I, she's made her UFC debut way back in 2013 and, you know, fought once an Invicta. And it's just, it's hard to believe, but she's 40 years old. And, um, you know, I know she was a world-class, you know, silver medalist at the Olympics in freestyle wrestling. But if that's what you're relying on, and that's always what McMahon relied on. She, you know, she's relies on her wrestling and her upper body strength. She was never a good striker. You would just think at age 40, considering she's fought once dating back to mm-hmm. February 2018th. So she fought about a year ago, January 25th, 2020, and she's been on the sidelines again for another year. So you're looking at two fights in about three years. And I just, you know, I'm not super confident in Juliana Pena. I don't think that experiment has gone as well as it looked like it would at one point. But I would just think there's probably a little more upside given the fact that Pena is about nine years younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Pena also, you know, took a break for, uh, you know, to, to have a child, uh, came back. Uh, so she lost to Shevchenko in January of 2017, and she came back, beat former world champion Nico Montano in July of 2019. Of course, take with that whatever you'd like. And then she lost to Jermaine Durandamy, um in the third round via guillotine choke in October. And, I don't want to necessarily say the outcome was a fluke, but the way it happened was definitely a fluke. You know, Durandamy, I think, won the first round. Pena won the second, um, if I remember that correctly. And then nobody, when they're shooting on Jermaine Durandamy, nobody is expecting her to try to throw up a guillotine. That It, it just doesn't happen. She's a kickboxer, and, and that's what she is, who she is as a fighter. So I think Pena got taken by surprise a little bit. Um, and, you know, had she maybe prepared for that or, you know, at least – considered the possibility of it coming the momentum was going in her side in that fight and she would have taken the victory i believe so i still think pain has got some something left in the tank at least enough for a 40 year old so so i like her in this one again don't expect huge DraftKings scores but um i'll take some value at eight thousand. give her give me 70 80 points in a decision maybe some control time and uh, we'll hope for the best there any other dogs that you wanted to hit on john i mean the other one i thought was pretty decent was um andrew sanchez um at just 7,600, he's only plus 120 from the Vegas odds. So when you're looking at that, you're getting pretty decent value at his price tag. Mm-hmm. Um, won three out of his last four. The one loss was against Marvin Vittori. We saw what he's done lately. Um, and he actually went to a unanimous decision, dropped via unanimous decision, but saw the final bell in that fight. And then if you go back a little further, there's one bad loss to Ryan Jaynes in there. But um, – you know, one of uh, Sanchez's other loss was a knockout at the hands of Anthony Smith. So 
Um, you know, Sanchez has lost to, you know, pretty decent competition and at his price tag, 7,600, I don't think that's prohibitive, you know, relative to his Vegas odds value. I think that's a decent play. Yeah, there's absolutely some line value on there, so I can always get you know behind a lot of the you know the, the people that are making lineups mathematically are going to land on Sanchez quite a bit, and uh, I couldn't fault you for that one bit here. There's one last thing I wanted to touch on before wrapping up today, John. Um, you know, I met we've alluded kind of throughout the show that DraftKings has made some scoring changes. One of the most notable ones, I'm, we're going to call it uh, in honor of the great work of Nick Cage, the gone in 60 seconds bonus. DraftKings is now giving a plus 25 points if you can knock out your opponent in the first 60 seconds here. And, you know, it doesn't happen all that often, but I think it's fair because it used to be, I would have to explain to some of my friends I'm watching fights with, like, I want them to get the knockout, but I want them to get the knockout at four and a half minutes so they can rack up some strikes and maybe some takedowns and do that beforehand. That's actually more valuable to me than coming out and finishing the fight within the first 60 seconds. And that was just ludicrous and backwards. So I'm glad DraftKings has actually fixed that here. Um, so I want to discuss some fighters that have the best shot at a ninety at that gone in sixty seconds bonus, and I want to start that discussion with Khalil Roundtree um, because at one, you know, he's a big favorite, so he, you know he probably wins the fight. Uh, two, he has the best round one finish prop on the entire board here at plus one seventy, even a better first round finish prop than Conor McGregor and Otman Zaitar, who we discussed earlier. And then you know you have to look at uh, the opponent here. You certainly do. The opponent has three UFC fights under his belt, and he has been knocked out in the first round in all three of those fights, most recently by Slow Mike Rodriguez. Magomed Ankaliev is good, but Sam Alvey put him away in the first round, and you don't really think of Sam Alvey as a finisher, you know, putting away Marcin Prochnio. I think Roundtree can put him away, especially uh, with Roundtree. Now, he did drop. He was finished by Jan Kudalaba in his last fight, but the fight before that, he was taking on Eric Anders, and the telecast noted how he had, you know, gone to Thailand and really worked on the Muay Thai. And he looked like a totally different fighter and striker in that matchup against Eric Anders. And uh, I think if he brings any kind of on-point striking, he's going to catch Prochnio with an elbow or a knee and put him away. So, uh, you know, kind of looking at the uh, looking at our optimizer, Roundtree has the second highest price tag. But um, I like him almost as much, if not more, than Connor in terms of getting that first round finish. That gone in sixty second bonus here. Um, are you with me there? And anyone else you want to you want to put on knockout radar? He was the guy uh, before. <laughs> if he, if if I went first, I would have said everything you just said. Kuro uh, Roundtree is actually a really underrated athlete. Um, mm-hmm. He has that explosiveness. He has that ability to generate a lot of offense in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And like you said, even if he didn't. It's at the point where I'm actually pretty shocked that uh is getting another fight with the company. Um, usually, part of the if, roster trim here. This is probably going to be his last one. I would think so. I, if you guys who lose three fights in a row and are knocked out in the first round in all three, almost never get a fourth opportunity. I'm like really, really, really shocked mm-hmm. he's getting another try. And a little bit of dangerous matchmaking. It is, and then I mean, look, and then you got. Roundtree hoping to prove himself. Actually, Roundtree uh, was talking about potentially retiring, but instead actually signed a contract extension. So I believe this is the first fight in his new extension. So Mm -hmm. he'll be out to prove he's worth the big bucks. 
Right on. Well, that's pretty much all we can talk about here uh, for this UFC 257 card. We're almost an hour in already here, so we'll leave the rest to our Fight IQ team on uh, tomorrow night on the Rotowire YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rotowire. The trio is going to take it from bottom to top, uh, touch on every car, or every fight, talk about some bets, DraftKings, FanDuel, the whole nine yards here. They've got you covered tomorrow, but hopefully we got you a good start, got you a nice taste of what we uh, of what to expect here. I'm curious to see if uh, we line up with what some of those guys think. Think. Check out John's preview for DraftKings. If you're a FanDuel player, Chris Olson's got a preview on the website as well. I'm going to put staff picks up here pretty quick. I'll post this podcast on the site, all your favorite podcast platforms. But hey, big thanks again for listening to the Rotowire MMA podcast. Of course, brought to you by ESPN Plus, the exclusive home of UFC 257. Dana's coming for those pirates. I don't know if you've seen his press conference, but Dana's coming for those pirates. Get yourself signed up for ESPN Plus and get yourself some free Rotowire along that. Once again, give John a follow on Twitter at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. John, we got a great fight at UFC 258 too. Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns in February. We'll be back with you guys uh, before then. Any last words, John? No, but that's going to be a good one. I'm looking, I've been looking forward to that one for a while. All right, right on. Thanks for listening, and uh, go ahead and win that cash on Saturday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.